Good to see you here tonight at Berea. And let's take our Bibles. We're turning to the book of John, the Gospel according to John once again. And we're looking now at chapter 15, as we have the last couple of weeks. I'd like to read the same passage, and then we'll have prayer, and then we'll look into God's Word tonight. John 15, beginning to read at verse number 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If ye abide in me, and my if ye abide not in me, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I'm sure that's what we're all hungering after tonight, right? to be the disciples of Christ. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll look at this and see how God will maybe give us some further help and practical guidance in that respect. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your long suffering. Thank you, Father, that you have such great patience with us. We realize that we're so slow and so many times we have to relearn lessons that we've thought we've learned and sort of let them fall by the wayside and I pray, Father, that tonight you would just encourage us and bless us, Lord, especially as we stand on the threshold of a new week and we always are reminded that of the admonition that thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And so, in a sense, we know that the best we can prepare is to plan for those things that we believe you want us to do and trust you for the rest. And I ask you, Lord, to just encourage us that way. And now, Father, thank you for each person who's gathered here tonight. I pray as we look at for a final time at this passage on the vine and the branches that you will uh, open our hearts and that once again, you will suit a blessing for each person who's here tonight. Father, uh, speak to us, minister to us, encourage us, and may the word of the Lord be glorified and have free course in our midst. For we pray these things now in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned in prayer there, we have been looking at this passage in the Upper Room Discourse on the vine and the branches. I want to remind you of what I've said in both of the messages so far, that the object that I have in doing this, and I think really in a very practical, reduced to its simplest terms, the object I think the Lord has in this, we all know that the broader thought in the Upper Room Discourse, which spans from chapters 13 through 17 in John, so we're only dealing with a small portion of it, but... The Lord is preparing the disciples for what lies ahead. He's preparing them for his absence. He's preparing them for what lies beyond that they really don't have a lot of insight or knowledge into. And in that sense, what we've been looking at here is the Lord is preparing the disciples for what it's going to be like. What's it like in the Christian life, so to speak? What's it like in the life of the believer? So there's really sort of a genius in the fact that this isn't specific. It's broad. It's general. It's kind of dealing with, here's what you can expect to be going on in your life without naming the specifics because it needs to be broad, it needs to be general so that each of us in every generation can grasp hold of it and be encouraged by it. So in this, 
What we've noticed is there are three key players in this figure of the vine and the branches. Each of them has a distinctive role, so let me tell you what we've seen so far, and then I'll mention what we're going to be concentrating on tonight. So right away, we've noticed the father in verse number two. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. So as we have the father who acts as the loving vine dresser, and what is his role? What is his responsibility insofar as the vineyard is concerned? Well, he cares for the vineyard, all right? And we, we, we saw the two ways in which the father is the loving vine dresser, cares for the vineyard. And secondly, we saw Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the speaker. So right away in verse number one, he says, I am the true vine. Later in verse number five, he says it again, I am the vine. So we realize that Jesus is the life-giving vine. That was the message that we had there. And what is his role? What is his responsibility in relationship to the vineyard? He sustains. He's the life-giving force. He supplies. He meets the need. He causes life to begin, and he causes life to flourish. And so that's the role that, that Jesus Christ has. Now, tonight we're going to be looking at the fruit-bearing branches. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. So we've noticed this, that professing believers, Jesus speaks to as the branches. I am the vine, ye are the branches. What responsibility in the vineyard do the branches have? What role do they have? Well, think about this for a moment because, and, and again, I hope that we're, we're somewhat successful in trying to point out how practical this is. Nobody really plants a fruit tree for ornamentation, do they? If you think about that. I mean, you may have things that you plant for a lot of different reasons. Um, we had a guy in the church at Huntington as a security expert, and it was really interesting to listen to a lot of what he presented because most people, when they think in terms of security, uh, they're thinking of cameras, they're thinking of firearms, different things like this. But it was really interesting to listen to him talk about how you can develop your facilities and how you can use different things for security. And some people use correctly placed vegetation that way, and some of us just use it for screening. Sometimes it's a nice, tactful way to, to shield windows or other things from people who might be living a little bit above or something and who otherwise would, would uh, through no particular fault, just be able to see in, and that makes you a little uncomfortable. So you, sometimes you plant it for privacy. Sometimes you plant it for screening. Other times you plant uh, for flowers. You, you like the beauty of the flowers and the irises and the lilies and all those different things. We had another fellow in the church in Huntington, uh, something I really learned this thought from, and, and he told me, he said, you know, if you, if you do it right, he said, you can have flowers all summer. I never really thought about that, but, you know, you have some things that bloom early and some things that bloom a little bit further along and, and some things that are late bloomers, and that's true. You can, you can kind of have something going on all summer. It might not just all be going on at the same time, but if you enjoy flowers, you can, you can enjoy that. You can have that. But nobody really plants apple trees for any of those purposes, right? Or peach trees for any of those purposes. Nobody maintains a vineyard for any of those purposes. The whole reason you do that is not to have something that looks nice or something that provides you screening, even though you might enjoy the way they look and even though maybe they do provide some screening. You don't really plant them for that reason. You plant them because you want to enjoy the fruit that comes from them. I don't think anybody here plants tomatoes for any other reason, right? I mean, they don't do any screening. They don't, they're not much to look at, but you sure, sure enjoy the tomatoes when they come, right? And so the branches, the purpose of the, the branches is 
to bear fruit. And the, the way they do that and the role or the responsibility that they have is to abide. That's the key word that you've got to remember. So when you think about the Father, what is he doing? He's caring for the vineyard. When you think about Jesus, what is he doing? He's sustaining the vineyard. When you think about believers, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, our responsibility is to abide to the end that we might be fruitful. But without the abiding, we can't be fruitful. So that's the key thing that we're going to be looking at tonight. So right off the bat, and again, I'll, I'll have three thoughts for you here tonight, but right off the bat, I think we need to, to get this concept of abiding under our belts because what does it really mean? What is Jesus talking about? You can right away tell it's an important concept when you read down through the passage. You'll find the, the word in the original uh, for to, that's translated here to abide, it occurs some 11 times down through this chapter. In John's writings, it occurs, or rather in John, in the Gospel of John, just the Gospel of John, it occurs some 40 times. I'm talking about the word in the original now. I'll talk a little bit more about translations of it in a moment. So 11 times in this chapter, some 40 times in the Gospel of John, and then if you add in the epistles of John, which are very brief, right? First John has five chapters. They're relatively short chapters. But then you have 2 John and 3 John. You only have the one chapter, so to speak. No other chapters. Very brief. But you have an additional 27 occurrences of this term. So it doesn't take much. Once you, even just to do that statistical analysis, it reveals that all right, this is a very important concept in Scripture, but it's especially an important concept in John. And so to really get a handle on this, we're going to be benefited and profited by primarily studying the, as we compare these, the, this and look at different verses. That's going to be very helpful to us tonight. Brother Lee said something that was important in Sunday school this morning. You know, sometimes the best way to let Scripture interpret Scripture is by itself. Scripture is its own best commentary. And that's not to say that other commentaries are not helpful. I think that's foolish. But certainly Scripture is its own best and most authoritative commentary, and so that's a very helpful principle for us to understand. Well, let me tell you this, because this will sort of uh, be a good starting place. If you're, if you're ever studying Greek, um, you're going to learn this word. It's gonna be, you're going to learn it the first year you study Greek. It's a simple word. It's meno. And so when you look at this verb, meno, the standard definition that everybody learns, the standard definition that's given in any lexicon for this particular term is to remain. And you say, well, I thought you said it was abide. Well, that's the most predominant translation of it in this chapter is to abide. But we're trying to figure out what it means, okay? And I'm going to show you one place in the chapter where it's translated that, that very way, to remain. But it actually has three translations even within this chapter. So let's have a look at that because sometimes people think, oh, what are you talking about? Well, then, so one of the things you have to realize about the King James Version, which is uh, it's actually a strength from a literary standpoint, and that is... The writers, the translators had kind of a penchant for variety, using synonyms. And that's a great literary style because there's probably no version that have really, really has ever come out in English that's really equaled the beauty of the King James Version. And one of the, one of the ways that that happens is because of the variety that's used. The only thing is, sometimes if you're trying to do this analytical work, like I've just presented to you, you look down through the chapter and you, you don't always catch every occurrence of the word in the original because 
the translator may vary the definition of it. So let's take a look at that, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So it's translated out of 11 times. It's translated abide nine times. So that's the predominant translation. And you'll find that in verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 10. But it's also translated to continue. And we find that one time. Look at verse number 9. We didn't read that verse. But it says here, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. It's meno. It's the same as to abide, but they vary the translation here to try to either have that stylistic variance or else to zero in on a more specific sense in the verse to help us better understand it. In verse number um, 11, is translated, the one time remains. So look at that verse. We didn't read it either. These things have I spoken unto you, Jesus said, that my joy might remain. There it is. Now, to me, that's very helpful to do that analysis because I'm trying to figure out what's Jesus talking about. I realize it's important. I see abide nine times down in this chapter. And in this whole discourse on the vine and the branches, it just keeps coming up. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me. If you don't abide in me, this. If, abide in me. And you keep hearing it. And you're scratching your head and you're saying, oh, okay, I realize this is really important, but what is it really saying in a practical sense? What's it really conveying to me? And I realize the standard definition for it is to remain, but then it can also be translated to continue or to abide, as is the most predominant one here in this chapter. And also, here's another observation as we think about meaning. It clearly speaks about the relationship of the branches to Christ. To abide. Jesus says to abide in me. Here's something that's interesting. Every single time you find meno in this chapter, it's always followed by in. Abide in me. Abide in me and I in you. Continue ye in my love. It's always followed by in. See what I'm saying? And that's another clue because it helps us to understand, okay, who are the branches? Well, they are professing believers. And then when we're told to abide, it's talking about a relationship that exists between the vine and the branches. This is really what we spent our time talking about last week, right? We said there's really two senses in which that's true. There's the initial relationship that happens when we trust Christ as our personal Savior. But there's the ongoing relationship, and that's really what the emphasis now is because for the 11 disciples and for hopefully all of us in this room tonight, our profession of faith in Christ is genuine. And so this emphasis is no longer, it's not like anybody has to really tell us any longer, you need to be saved if we know we're saved. But the maintenance part, the ongoing relationship between us and the Lord, that's, that's, that's everything. That's hugely important. And that's where the emphasis is on this tonight. Let me, let me illustrate it for you this way. Um, tonight, each of us arrived at church. Okay, and when you arrived at church, you may have gone to the bathroom or you may have gone to some other room to do something, but you came in here. So you're in this room right now. Now, when we sing the last song and say amen, and you've talked to a few people, most of you are going to leave this room. But let's say a couple people stay behind because they have something they're talking about. Well, they continue. They remain. They abide. You see what's going on? 
And that's the concept behind this. We came in, we've trusted Christ as our personal Savior. Now, what are we doing with that? And the emphasis is on the maintenance of that relationship. So let's transition then. We've already kind of anticipated this. But secondly, let's talk a little bit about uh, the emphasis that's involved in this. So as I said, the emphasis is really not so much on the inception, the beginning, the start of the relationship when we trust Christ as personal Savior. That's when we become a part of the vine. Right, And that's when that life-giving flow comes to us for the first time. And we find ourselves, as Paul says, in Christ. And we have the life of Christ dwelling in us by virtue of the new birth. And the presence of Christ dwelling in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the emphasis is not so much there any longer, even though that's very important to talk about. But once we are in Christ, that's not something we have to repeat, right? I mean, if I understand the Bible correctly, I don't think you, you, you need to be born more than once, once you're born, right? I'm not talking about the new birth. I, that, I'm saying you've had the new birth. You don't have to be reborn. I never quite could understand it. I've always tried to be charitable. I know there are people down through the years of church history who haven't seen it the same way. But I, I, I have to be honest with you. I have very little understanding other than acknowledging that you have some warning passages in the scripture, of which, in a sense, this is one. To me, there is nothing in the scripture whatsoever that, that gives any, any even countenance to the idea that you could lose your salvation. You just, I just can't find that there. And I, I would never be unkind to somebody who's a fervent believer who sees it differently, but I just don't understand how you can get that out of justification in which God declares you righteous. Well, that's a judicial act. He's not going to undeclare you righteous because the righteousness that he's declaring you to have is the righteousness of, not of yourself, but of his son. All of our righteousnesses are filthy and rags. If God says you're in Christ and now you have his righteousness and you're accepted in the beloved and you're declared righteousness by a holy God, that's a judicial act that's once for all and doesn't change. If Jesus comes and says, you must be born again to a man like Nicodemus. And I think at the end of John's gospel, that's exactly what happened, that, she, that Nicodemus came to faith in Christ. That's not something you have to repeat because once you're a part of the family of God, we may not always live in a way honoring to that, but God doesn't disown us. Anymore, when you see the story in the parable of the prodigal son in chapter 15 of Luke, the father disowned the son. And so, you, do, do you see what I'm trying to get at here tonight? That, that it's not that... God doesn't, God doesn't want us to get slap happy about the thing. God wants us to take him seriously, and God wants us to fear him. But at the same point, God also wants us to enjoy that blessed assurance, that no-so salvation that we talk about. And you can never really know that if you're always worried about, have I done enough good, or did I walk up to par today? Because it never was anything to do with whether you're up to par. It's always had everything to do with whether or not Jesus is up to par. So the emphasis now is not so much. It's not that that's not important. That's, that's crucial because if you don't come to Christ, you're not a part of the vine. You're not a branch. But once you become a part of the vine and you are a branch and a genuine branch, not someone like Judas who was a professor but never really had the life of Christ in his heart and soul. And we know that, by the way, not only from what it says here in verse 3, but what it says back in John 13, verses 10 and 11, we saw that. 
where Jesus said, uh, you're clean, but not all. And he was speaking of Judas, and the, and, the, and the scripture is very clear on that when you go back to those verses. But now what's really important is now that we have this relationship with Christ, what are we doing with it? So the emphasis now is on continuance, and that's why I went to some trouble to try to point out that's what meno means. To abide is to continue. To abide is to remain. It's just like if I got in this room tonight, it was just, for some reason, I was just so drawn to what was here, I just couldn't leave. <laughs> that's an imperfect illustration, but you, you kind of get the idea that's going on here. It's really important for us to continue with that relationship, and it doesn't depend on us, but it is mutual. And that's a very important thing also to point out. It's, it's not that this relationship is one-sided. And that one of the things that we find that, that really gives that away is the fact that a couple of times over in the chapter, you find the phrase, abide in me and I in you. You find that abide in me and I in you. So do you see what I'm trying to point out in this? That this is kind of a reciprocal thing. It's kind of a mutual thing. It's not that it's all one-sided. It's just that nobody's really worried about Jesus upholding his end of it. Do you see what I'm trying to say? It's mutual. It, it, there's a, there's a, we depend upon him, and out of that, a responsibility comes to us. But we're not worried about Jesus, but sometimes we have, do have to kind of keep an eye on ourselves, don't we? And that's what this, this is really all about. No one is worried about the Lord Jesus upholding his end of the relationship. The emphasis is on believers here. He sustains as we abide. That's the whole thing to, to grasp. He sustains as we abide. And that's what you have in verses 4 and 5. So let's look at that again. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So this is, a, this is not a one-sided thing. It depends on Jesus. But we're not worried about Jesus upholding his end. He's telling us, if I can put it this way, it's imperfect. But he's saying, mind your manners. Uphold your end of this thing. You need to abide. You need to stay in fellowship with me. You need to maintain the relationship that you have with me now that you're a child of God. In the sense of your, your nurturing this relationship. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. So there's that reciprocal aspect again. Abide in me and I in the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. You know, it's kind of interesting that what I'm talking to you about, this is not rocket science. <laughs> we're, we're, we're maybe in a passage that has at sometimes been scary to people. And I think a lot of that is because sometimes we just, we read about that, that verse 6 and the, the branches and the burning, and that scares some people. But the secular world gets this principle that we're talking about here, even if they don't apply it or think about it in terms of a spiritual relationship. I want to offer you one example tonight. I was reading a story of a, a counselor, secular counselor, and the counselor had an article that was entitled this, Don't Put Your Head in the Sand. Relationships Need Nurturing to Deepen and Grow. And then the counselor tells the story of an article, and she starts off the article, it happens to be a lady, but she starts off the article by saying, relationships are like plants. And I thought that caught my attention right away because we're talking about that, that imagery here, a vine. 
She says, relationships are like plants. They need to be nurtured and watered to grow and to develop. Well, not, we're not worried about the father and the son upholding that end of it. But she says, neglect these basics and the relationship soon loses its gloss, its luster, and its ability to stand the weathering of time. That said, I am constantly surprised by the reaction and comments that I receive. And then she tells a story. She said, the most recent comment I received when I shared this point of view came from a young woman in her early 30s who'd been in a relationship with her boyfriend for 14 years. She said, prior to my comments, she shared that she did not feel that there was much romance in the relationship. She continued by adding that at times she felt that there was little communication between the two of them. She said she had recently embarked on a new business venture and she felt that she was not getting any support or the encouragement she would like to have gotten from her partner. So the counselor said, when I asked her what she and her boyfriend did to keep the spark and sizzle alive, she looked at me blankly and said, what do you mean? So the counselor said, well, I talked about values and date nights and ways of working harmoniously together and conscious planning to add fun and romance to the relationship. She said the woman's response to her was one of utter disbelief. She turned to the counselor and in a, in a bit of a hostile voice, this is what she said, you make relationships and having a loving, lasting relationship sound like work. To which the counselor said, she replied, yes, that's right. Wow. I, I just shake my head sometimes and wonder. To me, that's common sense. Anybody can figure that out. You could listen to some of the old marriage pros talking tonight, and you didn't have to listen long to figure that out. You know, there's still a story told about the old farmer was driving down the road in his pickup truck, and, of course, he was driving, and that's usually the case, right? And his wife was sitting over on the side, and all of a sudden she said to him, she said, honey, we don't sit as close together as we used to. And he said, yeah, that's true, but I haven't moved. <laughs> Ouch. Anyway, so let's kind of draw this together now and talk a little bit about the importance of this abiding. So clearly for the branches, this is everything. Because Jesus already said, without me, ye can do nothing. So if we desire to please him, if we desire to be fruitful, if we desire to flourish in our Christian lives, then it's everything to nurture our relationship. Everything depends upon that. You know, I, I had a sermon I preached years ago called The 30-Fold Christian. It's taken from when Jesus told the story and the parable about the soil. And when he finally gets down to the last one, the, the good soil, he says, and brought forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. And I was always intrigued by that. It was a part of a, a broader series that I did on commitment, and I talked about the 30-fold Christian. Well, what's the difference between the 30-fold Christian and the 100-fold Christian? It's got something to do with what we're talking about tonight, right? 
got something to do with what we're talking about tonight. So everything depends upon that. First of all, fellowship depends upon that. If you want to know how practical John gets in nailing this down, this, this concept of abiding and what it really works out to, what's it really look like in terms of practical day-by-day living, well, he gets nails it right down in verse number 10 when he says this, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. You know what? If we don't keep God's commandments, we don't maintain our fellowship with him. Isn't that true? That's, again, that's somewhat elementary for us to know in the scripture. And John is very clear about this. If you, in fact, there's already been a hint of this in the passage. When you back up to verse 6, Jesus says uh, in verse um, 7, I, 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 If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. So we don't have Jesus with us today to give us commandments, but we have this. And this is crucial to the maintenance of our relationship, our fellowship with him, because it's here that we have that fellowship. It's here that he speaks to us, and in prayer we speak to him, although sometimes in prayer he speaks as well. And again, it's that reciprocal relationship. He's given us the Bible so that he may speak to us. He's given us prayer so that we may speak to him And we nurture that relationship as we do those things. But when we are not walking close to him and when we're not in conformity to his words, when we don't give care to obey those things that we know are what he wants us to do, it hurts our fellowship with him. It's disruptive to our fellowship with him. That's not rocket science either because when you were raising kids, isn't that what happened? You told your kids something to do and they disobeyed you you didn't kick them out and say, like the Amish guy. Well, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, anybody that comes up with that theology, that's not anywhere near close to anything I've ever seen in the Bible. That's crazy. Disown your own family? Didn't they read the parable of the prodigal son? That's shocking. But you tell your kids to do something, and you come home from work at the end of the day, and you say, you get that done oh well and it's not like they're not your son or your daughter anymore but you're a little upheaved with them it kind of is disruptive to the harmony that you desire to be there and uh let's go over to let john comment on this again so let's go to first john chapter one here's this idea of letting we're going to come up with a few of these now we're gonna let john comment on john and talking about this simple principle that we've all learned from the earliest days this is what he says in chapter 1 verse 5 this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness what's it say we lie and we don't we're not practicing the truth because the truth of the matter is if you're not following God's will, revealed will for your life, what you know to be true of what God wants you to do. It's disruptive to your relationship with him. It hurts the fellowship. So this abiding has to do, first of all, everything depends upon it. The first thing that depends upon it is ongoing fellowship daily with the Lord. Fruitfulness, secondly, depends on it because that's what flows out of our nurturing this relationship. This is exactly what Jesus is saying 
when he says in verses 4 and 5, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Understand your position here. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Fellowship depends on it. Fruitfulness depends on it. And lastly, and this might be, let me try to be as careful as I can in explaining this tonight, genuineness depends upon it too. At least insofar as saying this, you don't really have the basis of a credible profession with other people unless there's something there for them to see. I'm not saying it's not there. That's the tricky part. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 7 for a moment. So once again, you don't misunderstand something I'm trying to say. See, we don't see the heart. All we can be is fruit inspectors. Right? You can't see the heart. All you have to go by is what you see. And that's our place. That's all the Lord gives us. He tells us we're not in a position to see the heart or judge the heart. But he does say this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, ye shall know them by their fruits. You don't know them by their words because everybody can talk a fair game. You know them by their fruits. And then he drills down a little bit further in this, and then he says the same thing again in verse 20. He says, wherefore by their fruits shall ye know them. Then he talks about the false professor. The person that says, well, he says... uh, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, everybody can, anybody can talk that game, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So what's the point? The point is I can't see your heart, you can't see my heart. All I have to go by is some credible evidence that I can see that you don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. So if we want people to respect our profession, this is what I'm saying. If we want to come across credibly to people, it has to be more than words. It has to be deeds. There has to be something for people to see. Uh, We had a testimony here tonight from Brother Maurer. He was saying, you know, you meet people, and even though you don't know them, it's really true. It doesn't take very long to begin to suspect. I think this person might be a Christian. There's something there. Our spirits bear witness one with another. And, but it, it's more than that. As we get to know people, we can see the credible evidence of a, a work of the Lord that's been done in the heart. Now, yes, is it true that we all go through per- periods of dryness and barrenness, seeming barrenness? That's true. So you remember I was talking to you about this before. I mentioned when I quoted from the article in the previous message from Ryrie about the fact that Sometimes we get this bollocked up because maybe what we're looking for isn't what we see. Maybe when we're looking for it, it's not there. Maybe we've already got some self-devised list of what we think we should see. So we can get it wrong. Just to show you how wrong you can get it. If you were sitting, let me give you this example. If you were sitting on a missions agency board, and you had a missionary on the field that didn't have a single convert in seven years, what would you say? (laughs) It's a trick question. Because if you had rushed to a snap judgment and said, I don't think he's really called, 
you might have just disqualified William Carey. You might have just disqualified Adoniram Judson, all of both of whom served multiple years before they ever saw their first convert. But now we look back and we regard those people. We have to be very careful about this, beloved. I'm only saying this nurturing of our relationship so that there's fellowship with Christ, so that there's fruitfulness, some, some fruit in the life, some, some evidence, is the only way we can really expect to have a genuine, credible testimony, profession of faith with other people. We may all go through these periods of dryness and seeming barrenness, but I will say this, the opposite side of that is someone who goes so far as to depart from the faith never had it. And I'll tell you something that's been in the news lately, and I don't know how many people here may have been aware of this, but how many either heard about this recently or you know the name Josh Harris? My wife's the only one. Well, Josh Harris is a very well-known, very well-known name in evangelical circles. Um, he's been a pastor for years. He, he's still a relatively young, probably his 40s would be my guess, um, and has written a number of different books. He's, he's the guy who wrote books that helped a lot of people in this whole subject of dating, some of you might know the, 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 the initial title that he wrote that got everybody's attention was I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And then he wrote a second book as a follow-up to that that's called Boy Meets Girl. And he, he talks about the shallowness of today's model of dating and talks about courtship. I'm not saying courtship is the way you have to do it, but I'm just saying he compares the two. He brings those things out. And then he wrote... a a book that I've used for years in helping people. Ever since he wrote it, I've used the book in helping people. Um, that it's called Not Even a Hint. And it, it deals with lust. Lust is the problem. Well, several weeks, ago, several weeks ago, it's actually been, I guess, about a month ago now, Josh Harris's name was in the news in a big kind of a way, unhealthy kind of a way. Because he basically, he posted to his Instagram account on July 26th, 2019, this is what he wrote. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. And then he says, all, then he says this, by all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Well, I don't know what else you say about him except I'll say at least he's honest. That's what I'll give him. He's honest. Because if you're going to go out and deny the faith and you're going to go out and renounce your faith in Christ and he left his marriage and then he apologized to the LGBTQ community, and started showing up in some of these 
gay marches. Well, if you're going to do that, then just realize, okay, you don't have a platform to stand on anymore to give a credible profession of Christian faith. Whether he's got it or not, I can't be the final judge of that. But you know, this goes back, and I'll say one more thing, and this will get some of you frothing at the mouth too. <laughs> oh, that's in a, in a good way. But you know, when, if you think about the old Calvinistic model of presentation of what, the, what the, the Calvinistic system always put forth as the doctrines of grace, you come down, the, the usually five of those are enumerated, you come down to the end of it, you get the P, the P in the tulip, for those of you that have had some exposure to this. You know what that is? Most of the time when we preach about it, we call it eternal security, but in the, in the Reformed way of presenting this, which is really closer to what the truth of Scripture is, both are true, but the emphasis in the Reformed presentation is always the perseverance of the saints. You know why that's true? Because what they're trying to articulate is exactly what we're talking about here tonight, that someone who's truly born again will never totally leave the faith. We may backslide, we may go through periods of barrenness, we may go through periods when we're questioning God, we may go through periods of rebellion in our lives, but a person who renounces his faith and in, in trust in Jesus Christ and walks away from his Christian faith doesn't have it. And there's always that warning there. So I, I mean, you know, it's, it's sad to see Josh Harris come out and say this and do this, but at least you have to take off your hat to him that he's being honest about the thing. So let's conclude tonight because we're out of time. I just want to say this. This is what's going on. <laughs> Welcome to the process. Jesus was preparing his disciples. This is what's going to be going on. Didn't get into telling Peter, here's all the specifics. Well, he did give Peter a couple. He told Peter a little bit. But he didn't get into a big manifesto with all of the 11 of them and said, you know, here's play by play what... what Nobody did say, you know what, this was going to be because I'm the vine, you're the branches, and the Father is the, is, the, is the vine dresser. Now that you have faith and trust in me as your personal Savior, it starts a process in your life. You're growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this nurturing of this relationship that you have begun with me depends upon this idea of abiding nurturing that relationship it's what helps us understand it prepares us to understand things like by the way there's another scripture i wanted to give you about the apostates and let's do this because uh, real quick talking about how john compares to john chapter 2 verse 19 of first john what's he say they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would no doubt have continued with us and there's our word What's he saying about these people that denied Christ? He says they, were, they went out. These are like the branches that demonstrated they never really had it because there was never any life. They're dead. Verse 24, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from you shall remain. There's abide and remain in you ye shall continue, there's continue, all three in one verse, in the Father and in the Son. 
helps us understand when we see some of these things happen. It would help the disciples understand what happened to Judas. He didn't have it and lose it. He never had it. It would help us understand and help them understand the process, at least in general terms, with what's going on in our lives. Let me tell you a quick story and we'll be done. Daily Bread had a really interesting devotional. It went something like this. It, it, it used as the, the little entry story a story from the life of Andrew Jackson, you know, the early American president. Well, anyway, said that Andrew Jackson's boyhood friends couldn't quite understand how it was that he became a famous general and went on to become the, fam- the president of the United States because they said, these, these were his boyhood friends, because they said they knew other men that had far greater talent but never succeeded. And amongst themselves, they talked, and they said, well, one of Jackson's friends said, well, how about Jim Brown? Said Jim Brown lived right down the pike from Jackson and was not only smarter but could throw Andy three times out of four in a wrestling match. But look where Andy is now. The other guy said, how did there happen to be a fourth time? He said, didn't they usually say three times and you're out? The other guy said, sure, they were supposed to, but not with Andy. He would never admit admit he was beat. He would never say throwed. I guess we'd say thrown. He would never say throw. Jim Brown would get tired, and on the fourth try, Andrew Jackson would throw him and be the winner. They went on to make the application. Picking up on that idea, someone has said, the thing that counts is not how many times you were throwed, but whether or not you're willing to stay throwed. We may face setbacks, but we take, must take courage and go forward in faith. Then through the Holy Spirit's power, we can be the eventual victor over sin in the world. The battle is the Lord's, so there is no excuse for us to stay throwed. That's a delicate balance that's here. I hope I've succeeded in some small way in getting us through this passage with more understanding, but more important than that, that we understand a little bit more about the process. And it's something God is working out in our lives. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your goodness. And again, we think of your long suffering. And Lord, we thank you that you're ever constant, you're ever faithful. There's never a day, there's never a time when you don't sustain. When Lord Jesus, you don't supply all the nourishment, all the strength, all the encouragement, everything it is that we need. The times of our success are because you've done that. And the times of our failure is because we haven't been careful to walk close to you. And so bless us tonight, encourage us, help us not to grow weary in well-doing. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.